Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. Today, Amy's guest will discuss ways to get your cholesterol, triglycerides, or blood pressure down. Please click like and share to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome triple board certified preventative cardiologist, Dr. Nicole Harkin. Greetings and welcome, Harkin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I am too. Heart disease, it's, it's just something that's really important to talk about. We sometimes don't really pay too much mind to it until maybe a family member is affected by it or, or maybe we're getting older and we're worried about it. But it's really something that people really need to think about as soon as they can. And some people have adopted a whole food plant-based lifestyle, and that is something that they're working on in order to address their concerns about preventing and maybe even reversing some diseases and so forth. And some people have never even heard about it. We might talk about that a little bit too. But we have heart disease, cholesterol, blood pressure, triglycerides. Oh my. I mean, all these things that we have to worry about. And it's it can be kind of confusing and kind of worrisome too. What I like to do now is I like to do a little true or false with our audience. It's time for true or false on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below. And Amy will ask our guests for the expert answer. Okay, guys, here's your first question. If you can type in those comments, true or false, 20% of heart attacks are silent. Okay, we're going to ask Dr. Harkin to tell us the answer to that. So that is true. Unfortunately, there are many individuals who experience a heart attack, um, which is when one of the arteries in the heart gets completely blocked off, and they actually don't experience any symptoms at a result. as a result. Um, this is more common in individuals who have diabetes or who are older, um, but it, it can happen to many individuals. And so it really just does underscore the fact that this is something that all of us should be thinking about and paying attention to um, and working on reducing our, our risk factors. We're going to lead in with another question, and that is true or false, 80% of heart attacks and strokes are preventable. 80%. That's a really high number. Let's see what everybody wants to type in, and then we'll ask Dr. Harkin, what do you have to say about that? That is true, in fact. So um, so the that's the, the flip side of, um, of all of this is that um, while it is very intimidating and sort of scary to think about blood pressure and cholesterol and all of these things, um, it, it's really, truly amazing that we have, in many cases, the ability to, um, to prevent this. Um, and so while it can be a little bit scary to think about all of this, um, adopting um, healthy life lifestyles as early as possible um, can, can lead to prevention. And this has been shown, importantly, even in individuals who have a high genetic risk um, for, for heart disease, um, lifestyle factors can impact their, their risk as well. So um, just because you have a family member who had heart disease at, a, at an early age, it is not, genetics are important, but they're not destiny. And, um, and we, we can truly see um, risk factor lowering and um, reduced risk of heart disease, um, even in people with a high risk. Well, that's good to know. 80%, that's a good percentage to, to try for, I tell you. That's really yes. nice. Maybe we can get a little education from you because 
We're all so concerned with these numbers and not all of us really understand what they mean. We just know that I have to have this number and this number. And if it's this number or higher, I'm not good. But they're important numbers. I mean, there's been a lot of science to learn about this. So when we talk about cholesterol, for example, what's so bad about it? Not that all cholesterols are bad. I guess you're going to tell us that too. But what, what's so bad about cholesterol? Yeah. So um, cholesterol is um, it's a fat-like substance. Um, it's actually found in the cell membranes of every cell in our body. Um, so we do need cholesterol. But our body, actually, each cell, like, it makes it what it needs. So, um, so we don't actually need to be consuming it, particularly not in uh, the quantities that many uh, do in the standard American diet. So um, why cholesterol is bad is because what can happen is that um, the cholesterol, um, which is actually in these um, what are called lipoproteins, um, which are there's these little vehicles that are in um, our bloodstream, and um, uh, when they get put out by the the liver um, after um, we eat, things get packaged up, and then they get put out by the liver, and they're in our bloodstream. And what can happen is that um, they can actually deposit into tissues, as well as get through the vessel wall and deposit into the arteries. Um, and when that deposits into the arteries of our heart. Um, that can become what's called a plaque. And if that plaque grows over time, eventually um, it can result in a, a blockage of the artery, which can cause angina or chest pain, or it can get completely closed off and cause a heart attack. Um, and so that's why we worry about cholesterol. It is the cause of, of heart disease, um, many strokes, um, peripheral arterial disease, all of these things are, are, are the same type of disease, just in different parts of our body. Okay. Well, we have another true or false question and that has to do with cholesterol. So let's go. True or false, your cholesterol should be under 150 for optimal health. Okay, guys, you type in your answers and Dr. Harkin's going to tell us about that. So it'll be interesting to see what people say. Um, they're, uh, in, in general, we like to see um, the, uh, and I assume you're referring to the total cholesterol. Um, so, so we have different numbers for different types of cholesterol and actually, interestingly, different goals for different people. In general, the lower the better is great. Um, so below 150 milligrams per deciliter total cholesterol, below 100 or even 70 milligrams per deciliter for LDL cholesterol is, is what we're trying to, to get to. Um, and really that's based on um, different trials that have shown that as you bring that cholesterol lower and lower, um, you have a lower risk of, of heart disease and stroke. Um, and so we've seen um, in, in trial after trial that um, getting to lower numbers reduces our risk of those events happening. Um, and so this is the kind of the standard lipid panel that you'll get when you go to your doctor. Hey, we're going to check your cholesterol. The numbers that you'll see are this total cholesterol, which is all the cholesterol um, that we're measuring. The LDL cholesterol is the cholesterol that's within those LDL bad particles that we discussed earlier that tend to deposit in the arteries and our tissue. The HDL cholesterol is the cholesterol contained within HDL particles, which historically has been dubbed the good cholesterol. It's a little more complicated than that, um, but it tends to be um, protective and taking the cholesterol out and back to the liver. Um, and then you also get your, your triglycerides, which I think is something else that we'll, we'll probably talk about as well. It seems that there 
there's been some kind of buzz, at least amongst people who have adopted the plant-based lifestyle, that they have this magical number of their total cholesterol being 150. And that if they don't get to that number, that they're not heart attack proof. And some people really worry about it. To me, so much that it probably causes them stress, which is could be something that yeah, could make them... Exactly. <laughs> right. Not everybody can do this, right? I mean, no matter how strict you are, would well, you so, say? And, exactly. And and I think it's really important that um, that many people um, take a step back um, and don't get too fixated on the numbers. Um, because I said, as I said, it's very different for every person. And this is where there's that personalized approach and working with your doctor to figure out what makes sense for you. Um, certainly, it um, there is no, you know, 149 versus what, you know, I mean, there's no magic that occurs there. Um, and so I think being too fixated on one particular number um, is, is not not healthy. Um, also, I'd like to point out that depending on what your HDL cholesterol is, which in many cases is, is good to have slightly higher, um, that will affect your total cholesterol number. So that's actually why most of us in the cardiology community really try to focus on the LDL cholesterol component, um, which is the, the atherogenic cholesterol, um, which is the cholesterol that's causing these problems. Um, and so, so there's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of things that go into taking all these things into consideration. Um, there's different things that we can do um, within the context of a whole food plant-based diet to specifically focus on foods that we know can lower cholesterol if you're worried about your cholesterol number. Um, and then there's things to take into consideration like family history and all the other things that go into sort of looking at our overall cardiovascular risk. Of course, animals, make cholesterol thing that's an animal a human animal or or a farm animal right we they all make cholesterol is that right yeah so what's actually interesting is that um that it's it turns out in terms of what we consume it's actually the saturated fat um that is the number one thing that goes into raising our blood levels of cholesterol um dietary cholesterol is important too which is found predominantly in things like eggs um but saturated fat is really the big one um that we found just a really direct correlation between um consuming large quantities of saturated fat and finding your ldl cholesterol going up. Conversely, we find that as we lower our saturated fat, our LDL cholesterol tends to drop. Um, and so that's kind of where we get a lot of benefit from eliminating animal products. Um, because by and large, other than coconut oil and palm oil, animal products are a primary source of saturated fat in, in the diet. Um, and so lowering the your intake of meats and dairy, um, really, we see saturated fat go down and LDL cholesterol go down nicely as well. And even if you didn't consume any animal products, you would still have cholesterol because- Your body has it. Your Which body makes it, right? Exactly. It can't be zero. Now we can get our LDL cholesterol down very, very low. And we've shown um, uh, that it's very safe. Um, so not only in um, you know trials where we have some of these new medications that can lower the LDL cholesterol down super, 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 super low, um, barely detectable. Individuals do great. Um, even more interestingly than that, there are uh, populations in which they have a genetic um, mutation in which they're cholesterol is an LDL cholesterol is naturally very, very low. Um, and they live long, long, uh, 
heart attack free lives. So I think that's the other thing is that while some people have very differing successes in terms of bringing their cholesterol down in the context of a whole food plant-based diet, some patients do come to me with very low LDL cholesterols um, when they're not eating any saturated fat and so much fiber. Um, and they do want to make sure that that's okay and that's safe. From the, the data that we have, it shows that, that it's quite safe as well. Your body will make all the cholesterol you need. Well, that's really good to know. And it, because there's a lot of people that are worrying and you, I think you put their mind at ease. And I wanted to let everybody know that Dr. Harkin actually does telehealth in certain states. And we'll talk about that more later. But if you wanted to have a consult with her and you were in one of those states or neighboring states, and we'll, we'll put that in the, also in the show notes, what it is, you could also speak with her and let her look at your notes about your blood tests and so forth and really help you out. We saw a comment. Oh, <laughs> eat your vegetables. <laughs> That's right, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, we can go into all these complicated things, but really, <laughs> now you can go home. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> Steve took care of it for <laughs> These saturated fats, I mean, all these, they have all these different terminologies, soluble fiber, insoluble fiber, saturated fat, unsaturated that it, it really can get so confusing. I think that some people are still eating things that have labels on. Be green with Amy. I have adopted a whole food plant-based lifestyle as I'm sure you have. So I really don't have to worry too much about labels because I rarely look at them because I usually don't eat foods that have labels. But if you were looking at a label, what would you what would you do to know that you weren't getting the wrong kind of fat? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, in general, as we discussed the um, uh, in terms of fat, um, saturated fat is has by far the strongest correlation with um, raising LDL um, cholesterol. Um, and so, so if you're already eliminating all animal products, um, you will have gone a very long way to, to really lowering your saturated fat. Um, the other two things to look out for are, as I said, um, palm oil and coconut oil. Um, so if you are eating, um, uh, processed foods at all, make sure those are not um, on the in the ingredients list. Um, you'll also see saturated fat as as listed there um, if those are if those are in them. Also, um, many I know many people tend to bake with coconut oil. Um, and there was kind of a, um, a brief fad um, a number of years ago in which coconut oil was very, very popular. Um, and, um, you know, the, the research has really debunked that it's a quote unquote healthy oil. It's it is really high in saturated fat. Um, and, um, while it, it is a medium chain, um, triglyceride, it doesn't tend to be processed in the body as such. And so it, it definitely raises our LDL cholesterol. So avoiding that or using it at very, very small quantities for very special occasions is recommended if you are someone who does use oils still. So that's from the saturated fat perspective. If you just to kind of round out the fats, the other types of fats are the polyunsaturated, the monounsaturated fats. Those tend to be more, um, common in plant-based foods like olive oil, like nuts, like avocados, things like that. Again, this is where the personalization point comes in, but in general for individuals who are trying to lower um, their cholesterol, consuming some quantities of polyunsaturated fat in particular can help to lower the cholesterol. We actually look, when we look at different foods and we do what's called a substitution analysis, 
we actually can see that when you switch out for saturated fat, polyunsaturated fats come out ahead in terms of their ability to lower than the LDL cholesterol, followed by monounsaturated fats, followed by whole grains. And then importantly, when you sub in refined carbs, that's definitely not the answer. So, and again, it depends individual to individual, but for many people looking to lower their cholesterol, consuming some amount of poly and monounsaturated fats in addition to, to whole grains can be a good strategy for, for lowering uh, cholesterol. You just have to be mindful that anytime you're consuming any fats, um, nothing's a pure mono or polyunsaturated fat. Like, you know, we try to break it down in the studies. They all have some saturated fat as well. Um, so you just have to be mindful of, of that. And then getting into the fiber thing, I think that's the other big one that you had mentioned that's yeah. also really important for cholesterol lowering. So fiber is what is amazing. And it is a, a type of carb that basically we don't absorb. Um, and it um, tends to stay in our GI tract. And there's two types, insoluble and soluble. Soluble fiber is the type of fiber that helps us lower our cholesterol. Both are important. Insoluble is really good for your GI tract and bowel movements, but soluble fiber is the one we really want to focus on for lowering cholesterol. In fact, there's a specific type of diet um, that is a whole food plant-based diet called the portfolio diet that really focuses on getting soluble fiber, specifically around 20 grams of soluble fiber for LDL lowering. And most foods are kind of a combination of insoluble and soluble fiber, um, but there's some um, foods that are tend to be higher in soluble fiber than others. And so, um, so I do have, tend to have my patients focus on some of, of those foods as well and try to get around 20 grams of soluble fiber a day. And what's cool is the portfolio diet. So it's, it's soluble fiber, um, getting soy protein, um, handful of nuts, and then uh, plant stanols and sterols, which are kind of cholesterol light, but they actually block the absorption and they're in all plants, but you pretty much have to take a supplement to get kind of the amounts that they want in this diet. Um, but when you do all of that, they did a trial, a randomized controlled trial that looked at that diet and compared it to a low saturated fat diet with a low dose of a statin medication. And they were actually found to be equivalent in terms of their LDL lowering capabilities. So, um, so we really can do pretty cool, amazing stuff with plants and diet. It's so awesome because the same diet that helps you with heart disease, there's just so many other things that it can help prevent and even sometimes reverse. So you don't even have to worry too much about how to tweak it. We were just talking about the fat. So of course, I know we didn't talk about the whole food fat, true or false guys, if you have heart disease, you should eliminate consumption of all fats, including nuts, seeds, and avocados. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready, Dr. Harkin? <laughs> it's a little controversial, but people want to know. People do want to know. Um, and I think everyone, there are different um, camps on this. Um, based on my personal interpretation of the data, I don't tell my patients that they must eliminate all of those things. Um, I, the the PREDIMED trial, which was actually a trial looking at the Mediterranean diet. Um, but when you added in um, uh, walnuts, um, we did see um, reduced risk of heart disease. Um, and 
many of us think that that is because of what I was speaking about earlier, um, which was the fact that polyunsaturated fats tend to be the best in terms of lowering um, LDL cholesterol. Um, so again, I think this is very much where there's a lot of interpersonal variability and it, it really comes back to a personalized approach. But um, uh, and, and everyone kind of views that differently. But when I've broken down the, the data, I've, I've told my patients that they, they don't need to eliminate it completely. Now they need to, you know, consume it in, you know, reasonable quantities. It's all about kind of the balance, um, and, and things like that. But, um, but I certainly don't think that, that nuts and avocados need to be need to be in seeds in particular don't need to be feared. I think that for some people, there may be some food addiction going on and they, they can't have it in the house or else they'll eat the whole bag. But seeds, I mean, especially things like sesame seeds, I don't know if people kind of pop it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Sesame seeds. Or somebody could, I shouldn't say it because maybe somebody out there could, but I think it's less likely, right? Like I mean, that. and if you look at something like um, flax seeds and um, chia seeds, I mean, that's um, those are really important for for everyone to be adding into their their diet, um, uh, particularly for brain health and things like that as well. Um, so we got we have to make sure we're being careful and not completely eliminating all sources of polyunsaturated fats. Yeah, I think they do have some health benefit. It's nice to include them. Now, we, I guess we should talk about blood pressure. Let's move on to hypertension. Yeah. Okay, true or false, guys? Hypertension high blood pressure is a form of heart disease. True or false? Okay, Dr. Harkin. Yeah, so high blood pressure um, is definitely in that category of, of heart disease in the sense that it's a huge risk factor for heart disease. And if left untreated can um, result in something called hypertensive heart disease, um, which is where we see changes to the heart over time because of the heart is a muscle. And so just like any other muscle, when it needs to work hard, it will start to hypertrophy or thicken. So in the same way, when you go to the gym and you're lifting weights and you're making your, your muscles work harder over time, they start to hypertrophy um, or get bigger, which is what you're trying to do. Now, we don't want that to happen to our heart. Um, and so over time, if it has to um, pump, so the, the heart is, as I said, a muscle and, and it's a pump. And so it's its job is to pump blood to the body. So if the, the blood pressure, which is basically the resistance in our arteries, uh, is higher than um, it otherwise is should be, the heart has to work harder. And so it will, like any other muscle, get thicker over time. And so that can cause um, many problems, most notably um, something called congestive heart failure, which is when our heart um, can't pump or relax as well as it should. And so we start to get symptoms that uh, mean our body isn't getting enough oxygen. And then it um, we get symptoms because the blood is starting to back up into the lungs. And so we get things like shortness of breath and swelling and fatigue. And so, um, so hypertension is a really important risk factor to pay attention to. And again, it's one of the, the many risk factors that we're able to often modify um, with a whole food plant-based diet. Now that we're talking about hypertension, let's talk about salt. When I adopted this lifestyle, I didn't really have high blood pressure, but my husband did. And so to be in the same page with him, I decided to make my lifestyle SOS-free, no sugar, oil, or salt. And my blood pressure went down a little bit, but not very much, and I'm fine. Can you talk about why it would be beneficial to eliminate salts, or the added salt, I should say, because there's salt in 
fruits and vegetables. So you can right. eliminate it. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, it's actually really interesting. So salt is um, uh, a mineral. And actually, we have started to really understand that it likely has a lot to do um, uh, in terms of our blood pressure between the interplay between um, the sodium and the potassium, actually. And so um, what's super cool is that in um, something like the DASH diet, which is a, um, a type of a most vegetarian diet when it was first studied. Um, it does allow some, some dairy and, and lean protein, but it was one of the first studied diets um, based actually on observations of vegetarian diets um, in which they were shown to, to lower blood pressure. Um, and um, so what we see in a, a diet like that is that we can lower blood pressure um, by as much as five millimeters of mercury. Um, and which is, is, is a decent amount. Um, and it lowers it even more when you then also further restrict salt. Um, and we see about 12 millimeters of mercury of that top number, the systolic number of blood pressure lowering. Um, and so we get really dramatic results with some of these dietary changes. And we think that a lot of it has to do with not only restricting the, the salt, um, which uh, when you have too much salt, um, the water follows the salt and then blood volume goes up and blood pressure goes up. Um, but then we also think that it has to do with the balance between the sodium and the potassium and what has lots of potassium fruits and vegetables. Um, so the more fruits and vegetables you eat, the more potassium that, uh, that we get. Um, so it's pretty cool, um, that we see that, that interplay happen. And so, so for many individuals, um, they find that they have to both restrict sodium as well as eat lots of fruits and vegetables within the context of a whole food plant-based diet. Other, um, individuals find that they can be somewhat more lenient with the sodium. Um, so, uh, again, this is, there's a lot of variability from person to person in general. Um, where it's recommended to have no more than 2,500 milligrams of sodium, added sodium to your diet daily. Um, for those who have hypertension or are really trying to restrict sodium, it should be less than 1,500 milligrams, which basically eliminates all processed and packaged foods. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and there's people, I, I mentioned this on a previous broadcast that I talked to people that say, well, I don't use salt. And they think of it as that they're just shaking a salt shaker on their food. And if they don't do that, then they think that they're not eating salt. If you're eating a chicken breast, typically when you buy it in the supermarket, they inject it with a sodium broth. And so you think even if you're eating it plain, you're not. And so there's really a lot of added sodium in the foods out there. It's in everything, particularly processed foods, packaged foods, even something as simple as bread. I mean, there is salt in bread. So you have to be um, just kind of cognizant of that. Everyone has a lot more sodium in their diet than they think they do. So some of the biggest culprits are things like frozen entrees, canned soups, um, and those sorts of things, condiments, um, tomato sauce. I mean, you name it, it's basically in it. So if you're not making it, it is still important just to, to be mindful of that, um, both the sugar and the sodium content, just kind of flipping that label over and taking a look at it. Because most of us still there, you know, I mean, while we're all striving to be as whole food plant-based as possible, things like bread and, you know, things like that. And, you know, 
most of us don't have time to make our own bread. I don't at least. <laughs> so, so those kinds of things we do need to just kind of be mindful of. And there's luckily, there's lots of great, you know, low sodium brands out there, um, low sugar, things like that, that we can, we can look for. Um, but it just does take um, a mindset shift. Certainly. Okay. Thank you for that. So we're talking about blood pressure, true or false. Get ready, guys. You can lower your blood pressure with meditation. That's not medication. That's meditation. So that's the question. What do you say, Dr. Harkin? Yes. So meditation is, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad you, did, you asked that question um, because while um, the cornerstone certainly of um, good heart health is definitely involves um, a whole food plant-based diet, um, it's also really important to think about all of those other things that go into making our heart healthy. Um, exercise being one of them, um, so getting both uh uh, aerobic as well as resistance exercise um, as many days per week as we can, um, getting adequate sleep, both in quantity and in quality, um, you know, stress management, all of this stuff. Um, so meditation is one of those things that actually um, was ignored for many years. Um, and more recently, we do have some some real data behind it. Um, so they've done some some studies and, and um, while the effect size is variable, um, we do definitely see true blood pressure lowering um, with with meditation. Um, and so we think this has to do with, um, with the, the practitioner being able to sort of change that balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system and really focusing on the calming, the lowering of the heart rate, the lowering of the blood pressure, lowering of the cortisol, all of these things that, um, that we think may also actually then translate into lower risk of heart disease as well. Um, so, and you know, the data there is a little bit um, less strong, but we certainly have good data to show um, that it, it does result in stress reduction and, and can result in lowering of blood pressure as well. So, so there's lots of things that can lead into a healthy lifestyle above and beyond just a whole food plant-based diet that can really be complementary therapy. Well, that's great. We had another doctor on previously, we'll put a link and she led us in just a small exercise, a breathing exercise. And it was just took about 30 seconds and I did it along. I encourage everybody else to, you just don't realize that just taking those breaths in and breathing out and just relaxing for those few moments can really make a difference. And I'm glad that you encourage that. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think for everyone in terms, and I, uh, the common question I get is how much do I need to do? What do I need to do? And so people of course want to know an exact prescription, um, but I think it's important to recognize that it's, um, that it's not just those. So yes, I do encourage kind of a daily meditation practices if possible, either the morning or the evening or both. Um, but also working on finding that time to harness just simple breathing exercises throughout your day. And so not only is it that daily practice, but then also working on um, harnessing what we've learned from that daily practice into kind of the, the moments or the times of acute stress. Um, and I think that's where, so if you feel your heart rate going up, you most of my patients will tell me, I can feel my blood pressure going up when I get stress. And so working on trying to, um, with those breathing exercises to try to help um, lower the blood pressure in that moment um, can be really helpful as well. And so that you're kind of muting that, you know, I mean, it's normal for heart rate and blood pressure to change throughout the day, but, um, but trying to, to mute it wherever possible um, during those acute periods of stress um, can also be really beneficial as well. So there's different ways to kind of tackle it and look at it. Yeah, Valerie said, yes, the slow breathing exercises are awesome too to help C-A-L-M calm us. Yes, we should all take a deep breath together. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. So we're having some questions coming in and talking about blood pressure. Miriam wanted to know, does magnesium lower blood pressure? Can, should someone with high blood pressure get their magnesium levels checked? So magnesium supplementation can um, lower blood pressure. Um, the effect size is quite small, um, but many of my patients who have high blood pressure do, do choose to supplement um, with magnesium. Um, unfortunately, the magnesium level that we can check in um, blood work um, is not particularly reflective of your overall body sources of magnesium. Um, and so for the vast majority of people, unless you're on um, a couple of certain medications, your magnesium level will very likely be normal. Um, and so it won't particularly be helpful in terms of deciding whether or not to supplement for something like leg cramps or um, or uh, or other reasons like blood pressure lowering. So, um, so always talk to your doctor um, about something like that if you're considering doing that. Um, but but many patients do choose to, to supplement. Um, and but but again, the other things that we discussed um, for blood pressure lowering have a much larger effect size. So getting lots of potassium through fruits and vegetables, um, really trying to restrict your salt, um, exercising. So both aerobic activity as well as resistance training, um, having the, both of those in your program, um, and then a meditation um, exercise. Those are kind of the, the biggest ones. Oh, and then sleep also. So having um, really good, high quality and quantity of sleep. So you want to ensure that you're having seven to eight hours a night. Um, most importantly, no obstructive sleep apnea or other reasons that you're having poor quality sleep. Those are also associated with high blood pressure. And then, you know, getting things checked like your thyroid and things like that are all really important um, for, for blood pressure lowering. And again, caveat, this is all general education, not any sort of personal medical advice for one individual. Right. If somebody wanted to get personal medical advice from you, they could always book an appointment if they were near your states that you're in and we have different places to get in touch with you. Let's talk about triglycerides a little more. Some people get a handle on some of the numbers, but then their triglycerides are high and they kind of worry about that too. True or false, guys, if you are trying to lower your triglycerides, you should eliminate eating fruit. True or false, Dr. Harkin? That is false. So eat your fruit, my friends. Um, so while it is true that individuals with um, elevated triglycerides in general, that is typically associated with insulin resistance as well, and potentially prediabetes, it is, it, it, I pretty much never end up restricting uh, fruit in any of my patients, even when they have diabetes. And so, so triglycerides are associated with, as I said, insulin resistance and diabetes and things like that. Um, they do tend to raise with increasing um, intake of sugar or alcohol, um, things like that, um, and refined carbs, um, most notably. Um, when individuals consume um, sugar, natural sugars found in fruits or um, a unrefined carbohydrate like um, beans and, and, and whole grains, because of that fiber that we discussed earlier that's inherent within those foods as well, we don't see that same um, sugar spike and resultant worsening in triglycerides as that we do in um, with the other foods. Some patients who have really high triglycerides do just seem to be mindful of the types of carbohydrates they're consuming and, and 
things like that. But for the vast majority of patients, when you're when you have elevated triglycerides, really working on um, transitioning to a whole food plant based diet, uh, we tend to see those things come down pretty nicely as well. So definitely restrict refined carbs and sugar and alcohol. Those would be the ones that I would target first. Very good. I think the alcohol is something that people think they're getting their resveratrol from the wine. (laughs) Not that grapes would have them. (laughs) All right. You got to be rid of wine. (laughs) Yeah, that can be a tricky one for some people, but yeah, they should eat more fruit. So Rochelle wanted to know, are there any alternatives to statins? I had terrible muscle aches from it previously. Doctor wanted to put me on statins. My cholesterol was 275. Is there evidence about animal powder and CoQ10? Great question um, about the statins. I'm I'm sorry to hear that you've had issues with the statins trying to lower your cholesterol. So in terms of non-pharmacologic therapy for lowering cholesterol, um, really the best evidence is some of the stuff that we discussed earlier, which is uh, adopting a whole food plant-based diet, low in saturated fat, high insoluble fiber. Um, those are kind of the, the, the first interventions typically, and, um, and really focusing on, on getting a lot of those foods that have high soluble fiber and really kind of adding in some of those other components of the, the portfolio diet, which is making sure you're getting plenty of, of soy protein as well, and potentially a handful of, of nuts as well. Beyond that, in terms of supplements, some of the best data that we've seen is for, as I mentioned, plant stanols and sterols. So that is available in supplement form. Um, what they are is they are a type of basically essentially plant cholesterol, if you will. The, the sterile ring is just slightly different. Um, and so it, essentially it inhibits the absorption of cholesterol within the intestinal tract. Um, and so it's pretty well tolerated because it just stays in your GI uh, system. And, um, and, and that, as I said, in the context of sort of that portfolio diet um, was shown to be pretty equivalent to a low-dose statin. Um, so that's that's one option for so that some people choose to look at. Um, berberine has some good data um, behind it as well. Beyond that, there's many other supplements with less great data behind them. If Um, someone isn't able to get to their cholesterol where they need to go in conjunction with their doctor, um, they can talk about other um, pharmacologic options as well. With the statins actually kind of doing an every other day dosing that's very low dose along with CoQ10, that can be very helpful for some people to be able to tolerate it in conjunction with their diet. And then now there's just so many other medications as well besides statins. Um, There's things like Zetia, there's the PCSK9 inhibitors. There's a lot of options. While I know most of this is about a whole food plant-based diet and how we can get our cholesterol and blood pressure down, um, the reality is, is, is there are genetic components as well. Um, and I don't want people to feel alienated who aren't able to get their numbers to where they think they should be or where they should be for their optimal heart health. And so while a whole food plant-based diet is amazing and can do incredible things, it cannot fix every little thing um, for every person. And so um, so don't feel like a failure if your numbers aren't there yet. I truly view the whole food plant-based diet and then modern medicines when we need them as complements. Right, and that's why people would really benefit benefit from the consult from you because you're not afraid to prescribe the medication, but you're also not afraid to titrate or eliminate and 
Correct. So. <laughs> many, I mean, that's what's kind of cool about my practice. Like I have so many patients who come to me, not, not you know, really interested in a whole food plant-based diet, but haven't been able to kind of really do it um, and want that full optimized heart health and overview. And so we, we get them going and they're able to get off their medicines and it's awesome. And I love it. And then I'd say almost the other half of my practice are people who are already on a whole food plant-based diet, but have a genetic disorder like familial hyperlipidemia or elevated LP little a or something else. And they have a dad who had a heart attack at a very young age yeah. and their numbers are really high and we have to get it down. It is not safe where they're at, but they know that we're going to, I'm going to do everything before that. And then we're going to move to that. And so they feel like they've got a doctor who understands their lifestyle and how important the work that they're doing is, but also realizes this is not safe where they're at. We need to get this down to a safe level. And so I think it's really important that we acknowledge the power of a whole food plant-based diet, um, but also acknowledge the limitations and, and, and realize we're not failures if our numbers aren't coming down, even though we're doing everything right, because people get so frustrated and it, I don't, you know, it's, it's not fair to, to other people because I, I've seen it all. I have had patients that do the whole food plant-based. So, I mean, they're like, angels on it for a year and their numbers do nothing and they get really frustrated, you know? And so I think it's important that we, we acknowledge that experience as well. Right. And just because they can't get their numbers to exactly where they want them to be, doesn't mean that they should abandon the lifestyle because it is Absolutely. doing so many other, having so many other benefits for them. Even if you didn't get your cholesterol down, it definitely probably lowered your blood pressure. It's gotten your BMI down. You know, all your inflammatory markers are probably down. So, um, I mean, that's what's so cool about um, really working on lifestyle therapy is that it it helps all these different aspects, right? And so, even if you have a, a genetically high blood pressure or a genetically high cholesterol, you're helping lower all these other things. And so, even if you you do end up needing medications for, for one of those things, you are not a failure by any means. You've done amazing things to lower all your risk in all these other ways. And also, you know, that's the other reason to go see someone um, to, to look at all your things because maybe your cholesterol is a tiny bit high, but because everything else is great, we don't need medicines now and we're going to follow it and we're going to watch it. So it's really a, a personalized approach and it really, um, everybody's different. And, um, and it's really important to kind of look at the person as a whole and not just that one number. So let's talk a little bit about HDL and HDL is what they call the good cholesterol. And it gets kind of confusing because it's been my experience for myself and other people that I've talked to who have adopted this lifestyle where they really were, you know, all in and pretty close to 100%. And sometimes in the beginning, they may be losing weight and, and other things are happening. But then suddenly, they'll see as their total cholesterol is coming down, so is their HDL. And they get concerned because maybe their HDL is lower than what the recommended number is. But meanwhile, for me, I lost all the weight, my blood, all my markers are great. And all of a sudden my HDL is coming down below what the recommended level is and people get alarmed. So can you address that? So that's not at all surprising your HDL went down. So what is, what's really interesting um, and a pretty consistent finding is that, so saturated fat, which we mentioned before, earlier, which is found in, in animal products, it raises LDL, but it also raises HDL. So when you're going to, you eliminate saturated fat and, and replace it with say, you know, um, complex carbs or, or what have you, um, it's expected actually that your HDL cholesterol, um, will come down. So that's not surprising. We should probably also just back up 
quickly what HDL is yeah. for anyone who's not familiar. So as we mentioned in that panel of your, your cholesterol numbers, the HDL cholesterol is something that you'll, you'll often um, see as well in that panel. Um, and what it's measuring is the cholesterol that's contained within an HDL particle. Um, and those particles typically are kind of the reverse cholesterol transporters. Um, so they tend to take cholesterol from the periphery and bring it back to the liver to the get reprocessed and packaged and hopefully eliminated. So that's why it has previously been um, referred to as the good cholesterol. The reason I put it in quotes is because the story is much more complicated than that. We still don't truly understand HDL cholesterol. Um, from historical epidemiologic studies, we did notice that in general, a, the higher HDL numbers were correlated with um, improved cardiovascular outcomes. So for many years, it was seen at high HDL was seen as a protective thing. What we've realized, um, particularly after we tried to um, give people medicines to artificially raise their HDL cholesterol, was that in fact, when you do that, you do not prevent heart disease or heart attacks. And so, so artificially raising HDL cholesterol did, was, was not the answer. And so what we've come to realize is that it is likely a functionality. So it's not about how much cholesterol you have within your HDL particles. It's about how well those are working. As of now, clinically, we don't have anything available to us to measure um, how the HDL cholesterol is working or its efflux capacity. Um, they do that; they're using them in clinical trials and 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 studying it. Um, but as of now, we're not able to really determine that. And so, what that means for for you as a patient and for for me as a physician is is right now, in general, I don't fixate on HDL too much. Um, in general, I have a lot of patients who are have it lower and are are a little bit concerned about it and want to raise it. Um, not smoking is the best way to raise it after that exercise um, and um, and then you know adding back in some poly and monounsaturated fats that will definitely raise it whether you need to do that we have no evidence to say that um, because like I said I think it's very much more about your HDL functionality as opposed to the absolute number it's not particularly seen protective in fact we've now realized that in some individuals who have very high HDL it's it's not protective at all and it's actually a risk factor so so it's a really complicated story. So in general, again, it's all about a personalized approach and really getting into the nitty gritty of, of, of the numbers um, for each individual. Um, but overall, um, the most important numbers to focus on is really that LDL cholesterol and bringing that. Well, see, it's nice to and so refreshing to be around a doctor. Of course, I get to interview a lot of them, but meaning not a conventional doctor that you would see that doesn't talk about lifestyle medicine, that you're talking about research and the latest research and you're keeping up with it, where some of the doctors that are not about lifestyle medicine, they're just more about prescribing medications and they don't have as much free time in order to discuss these kinds of things with their patients. It's, it's really refreshing that to know that somebody could come to you with, and for a consult and you could explain to them about these things and put their mind at ease and kind of help them tweak what they're doing to make things work. Yes. I like, that's why I love what I'm doing. And I'm glad that I've been able to sort of run my own practice and, and see patients at, at an individual basis through my own practice because I can practice medicine the way I want to. Unfortunately, in the, the standard, you know, 
Dr. Mel insurance-based programs. It's just doctors don't have time um, to, to talk about all this stuff. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, people are really seeking that hyper-personalized care that just takes time. And so it's really hard to do that in the traditional medical system. Valerie wants to know, Dr. Harkin, do you recommend calcium heart tests in general? Great question, Valerie. So um, the calcium heart test, which I believe you're probably referring to is the coronary artery calcium score or the CAC, um, which for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what that is, that is a specialized CAT scan um, that specifically looks at the amount or quantity of calcium that's deposited in the arteries of the heart. And so what we can do is um, not only quantify that um, on your individual scan, but then also compare it to other individuals, your age and gender, and give, give you an idea of where you where you break down. So again, this is where kind of the personalized approach leads in, but I do often use them in my practice for many of my patients. They can be very, very useful to sort of understand, particularly in people who have a strong family history, uh, to sort of understand kind of where they're at right now and where do we need to go. Um, it's not quite a colonoscopy for your heart, but it's kind of like that in the sense that um, it's not something we do in patients who are having symptoms, um, but it's something that we can do to kind of get a snapshot of um, what's the plaque like in your heart right now and what so that we can kind of get an understanding of what to do with it. So if someone who's concerned about their cholesterol um, and has done everything, but it's still maybe a little bit high and we're not sure if we want to start a medicine, so let's you know, check it. If the coronary artery calcium score is zero, we can feel pretty good that, you know, okay, it's maybe not exactly where we want it to be, but for now, we're not seeing any any deposition in the arteries of the heart. And so we can maybe hold off on, on making any changes or adding medicines. Um, and then conversely, in, in some individuals who have a strong family history, their numbers, you know, aren't great, um, but we're not sure what we want to do. And if we get that coronary artery calcium score back and it's really, really high, then that can be a major motivating factor to really make some massive lifestyle changes and potentially add um, additional medications on top of that if we can't get down to where we need to be with lifestyle alone. Um, and so I think it really, and, and, and it can be very impactful when patients, patients see that number and see the actual calcium deposited and their hearts are ready to really make some major changes. Um, and so it's not for everyone. Um, it's definitely not if for you if you already have established heart disease um, or if you are, you know, 12 years old, but, you know, for certain people, it can be really, really helpful um, to kind of guide therapy and, and, and figure out where we want to go and what our game plan is. Christopher says, potassium level 5.1 doctor says pretty much eliminate or reduce most all fruits, vegetables, nuts, and beans from his diet and to eat white rice, pasta, and white potatoes instead. Advice? Wow. Okay. Christopher, I can't give any individual personalized advice. Um, and unfortunately, in individuals who have an elevated potassium level, um, some of the dietary guidance does get complicated. So for so when potassium gets too elevated, we definitely see heart rhythm issues and people can suffer um, uh, heart, major heart rhythm issues. And it, it is certainly um, not a good thing. Um, so we do need to be very careful and mindful of that. So I for many patients, if you are experience, experiencing electrolyte issues, um, that's definitely going to be a hyper 
personalized focused approach um, definitely requires guidance from your your physician. It depends what the reason is. Um, Sometimes there's medications that cause elevated potassium levels. So potentially switching those out um, can be one thing. Um, Kidney disease is another really common reason why people experience an elevated potassium. Um, And so unfortunately, as the kidneys um, uh, get worse, we can see that problem. Um, And so we do need to be mindful of the foods that we're eating. So for the vast majority of us, we can eat sort of all the fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, and things that we want. For some of us who do have some of those issues, we do need to be more mindful of what we're what we're consuming, unfortunately. He says, day five, SOS-free, salt, oil, sugar-free, whole food, plant-based. I've had headaches this week and dizziness. A nurse friend said, you might have to suddenly decrease sodium intake, causing blood pressure and sodium levels to be too low. Thoughts? So I've definitely seen in some of my patients who adopt a very uh, dramatic lifestyle change very quickly all at once. Some people do experience um, some different symptoms. Certainly individuals who are already on blood pressure medicines who adopt a whole food plant-based diet need to be very mindful of that and follow up with their doctor. Um, I have seen those changes happen within the first couple of days to a week and we have to peel off medicines quickly. Um, so anyone who's on blood pressure medicines should do this under the guidance of their of their doctor because we can see some, some blood pressures getting very low. Other times people um, can feel um, unwell if they've increased their fiber too quickly. They can get you know stomach aches and if they're not consuming enough, enough water, get very constipated um, and things like that. So, um, so certainly some of these changes um, uh, we can start to experience some symptoms with. So if anyone um, starts to feel unwell as they've made some major lifestyle changes, sometimes peeling back and then kind of gradually going in. I know we're excited and we want to make this major change, um, but some people don't do great with it and they feel really, really unwell. Um, So it's kind of sometimes people have to kind of peel back and then slowly kind of reintroduce um, back in. And that can be where, you know, some of, if you really don't want to eat any more animal products again, um, you know, adding kind of some of the meat substitute things um, can be helpful at first to kind of, and then you can really get your fiber um, back up and and get back into the whole food plant-based diet. Uh, But yeah, I've had some patients who've needed to back off a little bit and then reintroduce. It just goes to show that in a short period of time, you could become dangerously (laughs) over-medicated, which obviously something's working then, right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Blood pressure pressure and diabetes medicines are the two things that, that people, that if you're on those things, you should definitely make sure you're doing this with the guidance of your doctor because those medications might need to be changed quite rapidly. Yeah. Laura says, will a whole food plant-based diet help with, you can say that, degeneration and calcification of arteries recommendations? I don't know if that's... So we can just briefly touch on the the calcification of carotid arteries for for people. The carotid arteries are the arteries that are in your neck. And so those are the ones that we can actually look at with an ultrasound uh, or a CAT scan when we're looking for evidence of plaque buildup, similar to what we've discussed in the heart. Um, it can also happen really in any artery in our body, but when it occurs in the carotid arteries, we're concerned at, at some point about um, an, potentially an ischemic stroke. So we are able to look at those um, very commonly with an ultrasound and sort of measure the amount of plaque. It's important to note that um, that while our um, sonographic techniques are improving historically and still still somewhat now, depending on where you go, those numbers in the carotid arteries in particular can be um, 
somewhat unreliable um, because it depends on the angle of where the sonographer has, has been able to capture that picture. So I would caution anyone in terms of looking at plaque changes over time in those, um, unless you're going to the same center and it's um, one who does a lot of these carotid ultrasound tests. That's sort of just an overall disclaimer in terms of looking at them. But in terms of the overarching theme of trying to reduce plaque burden and, and not cause further plaque burden in our carotid arteries, this same um, principles apply. Any changes that we're making to lower our cholesterol, lower our inflammation, improve our endothelial resistance, lower our blood pressure, all of these things that we've been talking about, they're systemic things. And so um, so while they work to um, help prevent any buildup in the arteries of the heart, they also work to help that um, in the, the arteries of our carotids as well. Wow. You would definitely be somebody to have a great consult with. <laughs> so let's talk about that because I kind of talked about it throughout our time together. Can you tell people about how they could get in touch with you and what services you provide and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so as as you all know now, I work for Venom Cardiologist. Um, I see patients in the state of California, Florida, and New York, and I provide preventive telecardiology appointments, consultations for anyone seeking to just kind of optimize their heart health, whether they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, a family history, nothing at all. And they just want a one-time check and make sure things are, are looking good and see if I have any ideas. Per private practice is called whole heart cardiology. And I think those details will be below, but I also really wanted to highlight a new collaborative that I just joined, um, Planted Forward, which uh, if you don't know us, go follow us on Instagram and um, sign up for our newsletter. We are a group of health professionals, um, physicians, health coaches, nutritionists who are really interested in, in helping patients in a collaborative manner on their health in general. And so we've got a GI doctor, we have a um, internal medicine physician, myself, um, and then a great team of RDs and health coaches who are working together uh, to uh, on these types of appointments. So the benefit is if, if you see me and you're seeing one of our health coaches, we're a team. And so we work together, um, obviously bringing different skill sets to the table to help you improve your, your health. And we all have a very similar approach um, in that we are obviously um, plant-based. Importantly, we really are, are wanting to help anyone who's just at all interested in this. You do not need to be plant-based or even have started looking into it to, to come work with us. We will work with you where you're at and kind of get you where you need to go. And um, and we also are um, really interested in kind of looking at the, the whole body in general. So, uh, so it's not just even though I'm a cardiologist, I don't just focus on the heart. We really are looking at it from a holistic um, a, a manner. So um, that's us and what we're doing. Um, eventually, it's going to become a really um, vibrant community and we'll have, you know, uh, sessions and webinars and all kinds of stuff. So um, so definitely, even if you're not in any of my states, come check it out. The health coaches can see anyone anywhere. Um, and um, we just really want to, to, to broaden the, the general overall population's awareness of plant forward and plant-based eating and, and what it can do for our health and our planetary health. That's wonderful. And we will definitely put in the show notes below. If you're on Facebook, just hop on over to our YouTube and you'll see that there. And we'll put all that contact information for everybody. Well, this is a lot of fun. Jessica. T says, uh, fantastic interview. Very informative. Thank you, Amy and Dr. Harkin. Be strong, be well, and be green. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, if you are watching and listening, type in the comments. What was your takeaway today? Did you learn something or did you get reminded of something that that you wanted to, to, 
maybe do a little more work on, let us know so that other people can see that in the comments when they're looking around at the different videos. And please stay tuned for a special announcement. I wanted to take this opportunity to thank Jess Tass Voice. She did the countdown and she did the intro and she's also going to tell us who's coming up next. Can diet and lifestyle prevent or reverse diabetes? Dr. Kim Scheuer, MD, and Dr. Nikki Davis, MD, will talk about the power of a plant-based diet to help prevent, manage, and reverse type 2 diabetes. Bring your questions Wednesday, January 19th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Be Green with Amy, live. I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you guys for watching and to thank Dr. Harkin for being with us today. And if you guys want to join us, because we are going to be doing my sign off, which is Be Strong, Be Well, Be Green. And are you ready, Dr. Harkin? I'm ready. Okay. Well, until I see you guys again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green with Be Green with Amy.